You're listening to The Cutting Edge, presented by Hilleberg the Tentmaker. This is Petra Hilleberg, President and CEO of Hilleberg the Tentmaker. For over 45 years, we have specialized exclusively in building strong, lightweight tents and in never compromising on quality of materials or construction. From the very beginning, we have been family-owned and family-run. Our tents have become the go-to choice for discerning outdoor adventurers all over the world, and especially for those who travel in challenging terrain and conditions and who demand utter reliability from their equipment. Conceived and developed in northern Sweden, our tents are made in Europe, built to last, and offer the ideal balance of high strength, low weight, ease of use, and remarkable comfort. Hello, this is Dougal McDonald, editor of the American Alpine Journal, the AHA. This episode of The Cutting Edge features an interview with Scott Coldire. He's a firefighter from Spokane, Washington, who a few years ago discovered this incredible new ice climbing area in the Cabinet Mountains of northwestern Montana. Scott had an article in the winter issue of Alpinist magazine that kind of talked about the development of this area and his background, but we wanted to learn more. AHA editor Andy Anderson did the interview, and we chatted a little bit about Scott and this place to kind of set the stage. So anyway, yeah, so thanks for doing the interview. Um, it's funny about Scott, he's like he's like 50 years old, and he's one of those guys you never really hear about, but he's obviously really skilled, he's done a lot, and, and then he sort of explodes onto the scene with this big discovery. Yeah, I think he's been super active up in kind of his home area for a long time, and um seems really psyched he's like seems like he has the energy of a someone in their 20s um, as far as like new roots are concerned i mean you've been you've been covering u.s climbs for the aha for the last few years and i and i mean it's really rare for somebody to kind of reveal an entirely new major area can you think of any other ice climbing areas like this that have been discovered you know in the lower 48 in the last 10 years or 20 even 20 years it is kind of crazy that, and I think that maybe the closest thing in terms of speed of development was the um, the big surge in new routes in Zion National Park oh, ice climbing. Right, um, and I think this is more even more remarkable because I, in a lot of ways, it feels like it's more in plain view. I mean, um, this lake where their base camp is is at the end of a popular tourist trail. Um, the cliffs are super obvious from the trail and the lake, and Um, Scott showed me some pictures of the place in the summertime and there's just these giant waterfalls cascading down (laughs) all around this lake. And it seems like if you or anyone you knew was an ice climber, you, someone would have found out about this before, but, um, yeah, it just kind of seems like it was sitting there for years and years and years untapped and, uh, just kind of took the right person with the right motivation to come along and make it happen. I mean, yeah, he's pretty humble about it, but you kind of have to read between the lines. I mean, the approach is what, at least six miles up to 10 miles, depending on what the road's doing. And, you know, it's Montana winter. And what you talked about an avalanche wiping out a camp in the first area they went in there. I mean, it's a serious area. It's no wonder he had trouble finding partners. Yeah, I think it's just overall, I think I was just really inspired by um, the fact that, you know, in this day and age, when obvious new routes are getting fewer and far more far between, um, it's kind of exciting to know that there's places like this possibly still out there that, you know, it just kind of takes enough motivation and 
um, the right group of people to find it and take advantage of it. Um, and for like, the future of the AHA and the future of climbing, I think it's a really exciting thing to know that there's places like this possibly still lurking out there. Cool, cool. Well, all right, let's get to the interview. Okay, Scott, welcome to The Cutting Edge. Thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity. So since this is kind of an off-the-radar place for a lot of climbers outside the Pacific Northwest, why don't we start pretty zoomed out and just tell us about the Cabinet Mountains as a mountain range. Okay, the Cabinet Mountains, uh, they lie in the far northwest corner of Montana, and they actually lie in the Cabinet Mountain Wilderness Area. and there's about a it's a 35 mile length running north to south and sort of going from Libby Montana down to the Clark Fork River and it's actually a really incredibly wild place i see lynx tracks canadian lynx tracks all the time up there there are wolves which uh often you can hear howling from from up on the ridge lines and uh uh, you can actually see a wolverine in there, although I haven't seen that yet. But uh, yeah, everything from cougar to elk to uh, I often see bighorn sheep climbing up there. And uh, and it's actually really neat. It's a uh, the Cabinet Mountains hold one of the world's few inland rainforests. That means that it gets over a hundred inches of precip annually, and the when you're in the lower valleys, um, you're in this crazy setting of what just looks like a you know West Coast rainforest. Um, there, are, there are Western red cedar trees that are up to 2,000 years old there, and when you're traveling through these massive cedars and and fir trees, um, I don't know. It's it's a special place. You really know you've found something special just on the on the trip in it's also a very seldom visited place um i've never seen another climber there or, or another person there in the winter months so uh it's really a pretty incredible place um how did you kind of discover this area and were you are you the first person you know that's been climbing ice back there well um first how i discovered it i um Actually, in the late 80s, I was uh, a teenager and uh, I grew up in Missoula, Montana, and I was planting trees, working in the woods on, in the summers. And I, I worked out of Libby, Montana, and we were kind of on the out, just on the edge of the Cabinet Mountains planting trees. And I don't know if, if anybody's planted trees before. It's probably one of the hardest jobs you could do. And I just remember like standing there with my massive bag of trees just covered in dirt and looking up at these these crazy mountains you could see um and you can't see them from most places but when we would be up on a uh high up on another uh mountain we could see these these big crazy white peaks and i had just started getting into the backcountry at the time and and was just really taken by the place and and wanted to uh go up and explore those those ridge lines and those big faces, and it only took me, oh, you know, roughly twenty-five years to get it done. <laughs> um, what's 
the known history of climbing in the cabinets um, in the summer or the winter? Well, um, there's been quite a bit of summer climbing done there. Um, the Spokane Mountaineers have a pretty good record of, of climbs in the area. And um, uh, one of our premier alpinists of, of the previous generation, John Roskelly, lives in Spokane and is a, a good friend of mine. And I've talked to him quite a bit about it. He established a lot of climbs there in the 70s. And uh, previously, there was a, a a German expat who moved to the Northwest to uh, escape the Nazi regime. His uh, name was Hans Moldenhauer. In uh, the early 1940s, and he started taking other mountaineers on trips into the cabinets. And, and uh, they were doing some, some pretty pretty good uh technical climbs back then and uh and you know john was climbing there quite a bit in the 70s and 80s but in the winter i mean it is montana so you never know montana has a a well-known history of of uh keeping things pretty under the radar but i have talked to um you know john roskelly and conrad anchor and um actually alpinist reached out to pat callis to ask him about the area and i can't find any record of of people ice climbing in the area prior to i'm sure that that somebody has but i don't know when that would be or or where i mean what do you kept what do you think kept people from climbing back there sooner i i know you had quoted john ross kelly in your story about um talking about how they had so much roadside stuff to do back in the day that they didn't really need to walk that far. But, um, I mean, what do you think of that kept this current generation from climbing back there? Well, I think it's proximity to the, to, uh, areas with a lot of climbers. I mean, they're, they're really, it's a long ways from Bozeman. It's kind of in an odd little corner of the state. I don't know. I, I frankly, I'm surprised nobody, nobody thought to look back there in the winter, but um, I think it's just that that it's a a long ways from Bozeman, a long ways from Seattle, and and most of the Spokane climbers, um, it's not that much further to uh, drive north to Canmore and climb world class ice that you can see from the road. So probably the same reason that John didn't do it back in the seventies is I imagine why why it wasn't getting done in the eighties or nineties or anything. You know, it's just. Uh, it's it's a ways from the road it's you know the good stuff that we found is uh it's it's about 10 miles from the from the winter trailhead so yeah let's for, talk for the granite lake ice let's talk a little bit more specifically about the thunderdome and the a peak routes um what was what was your first time back there like what was the first trip in there like for you well actually i should mention we first started climbing there about um i think in 2012 we started hearing rumors of big ice at lee lake underneath snowshoe peak and i think at the same time a few spokane climbers went to check it out and i was one of them and we found really fantastic ice climbing these 500 foot climbs right off the lake there's like a 
probably runs for a third of a mile along the lake and it's just beautiful like wi4 and five to five plus ice uh you know up to five pitches right off the lake but the only problem there is that it lies at the uh foot of the north face of snowshoe peak which is nearly four thousand feet of basically a huge avi trap you know it's it's uh just a massive face that holds a lot of snow and we started having some pretty scary avalanche close calls and uh basically after after a particularly scary one that we we had a camp there that we left for a day or two and came back to find it buried under 15 feet of snow and we thought we were well clear of any avalanche pass and uh jess ross kelly and i um while digging out our camp decided that it was time to look elsewhere and uh basically got on google earth and uh just a ridge line over noticed a, a what looked like a really amazing zone it's um in between snowshoe peak and and a peak there's a uh, just a big bowl with a glacier blackwell glacier and then a uh natural amphitheater below that that sort of drain all of the runoff from those faces of those peaks and Blackwell Glacier drain into the area that we call the Thunderdome. And I couldn't find a single picture of it, despite like really in-depth searches online. And finally, my buddy Jonah Job and I, uh, about, what was that, six years ago, five years ago, we skied in and were just amazed by what we saw as the the biggest concentration of ice climbs either of us had ever seen and uh yeah we sort of knew we had hit something really special yeah when you guys first saw it did you kind of grasp the the potential that existed back there yeah it was really immediately obvious um it was the end of the year so you know we sort of went there in april and things were starting to melt off but you could see you could see the potential i knew right away that it was something special um and so the next year we um we returned and initially had some really great success we uh let's see we climbed one of the really prominent pillars uh a friend christian thompson and i climbed a beautiful wi5 pillar that we climbed up about 900 feet and then didn't didn't finish that to the top of the wall because it was uh melted out this big massive chimney that uh that we couldn't couldn't make our way through but still we put up a 900 foot wi5 um and then went back with uh an alaskan alpinist ben erdman and another spokane uh native bo carrillo and my friend jonah job and we climbed a line on a peak um which sits just, just above the thunderdome right it does it sits above the thunderdome it's um the tallest part of the face is about 2600 feet the line we climbed was on uh just under a 2000 foot face um right above the thunderdome and it was uh just a really nice mixed couloir that we called unprotected foreplay because well there were four of us and there were pretty long sections of unprotectable climbing but overall it was a you know it's really beautiful climb and uh that went at, I believe, 
like Alpine Ice 3 M6 minus. And, uh, and so that, that's all we got done the first year were those two climbs. And then what were the next kind of years like? You kind of had a couple stalled seasons with weather, and then you broke your leg back there, right? Yeah, I didn't actually break my leg there, but I did have a bad fall ice climbing. Well, the next, the, the next year after the big climbs, I went to Patagonia for my first Patagonian trip. And uh, I was there for uh, nearly, I think, two and a half months. So I kind of missed the entire Northwest climbing season and had big plans for the next year. And uh, uh, right at the start of the season, took a bad lead fall and uh, broke my leg and, and that blew out that entire season. So that led up to the next season was last year, the like 2017-18 winter. And yeah, I went into that season just really stoked and uh, and realizing that there are these, especially these three really prominent lines, the king lines of the Thunderdome. They're between a thousand feet and fifteen hundred feet tall, beautiful ice lines. Um, I mean, really unbelievable. They're all uh, sort of you can see all three of them at once. They're all next to each other on the Thunderdome. And I just, I went into last year, you know, really determined to get those, but I mean, you just had a really hard time finding partners and there, you know, everybody's life gets in the way and some a couple of friends had, had family, family life catch up to them with kids and marriage. And, and, uh, and I, I was really having a hard time finding people to go back there. It was really, uh, was actually really discouraging i was i was uh uh, starting to feel like i'd really like blown this opportunity and and uh and was just i i couldn't believe it nobody would go in there with me everybody that i talked to wanted to go up to canmore and climb the same old things and uh i guess all that changed when uh i got the chance to uh do some climbing around Spokane with Conrad Anchor and showed him some pictures and he was just immediately as excited as I was and and uh started making plans to go in there with me to climb. So that was pretty cool for one to get the chance to climb with a hero of mine and and then to have him see my little project and and think it was as neat as I thought it was. And, but then some other, I mean, of course, he's got a lot of obligations and some other things got in the way and he wasn't able to go, but, uh, he, he, uh, linked me up with, uh, a climber out of Bozeman, Matt Cornell, a young climber, who's sort of a, uh, protege of Conrad's. And it was, uh, man, it was just a great connection. I was able to, uh, meet up with Matt and, uh, we kind of climbed you know, all the good lines in about a week in there. Well, not all the good lines. We climbed. But the ones you had been thinking the, about. The, the three biggest lines. Yeah, Matt and I went in and, and nailed them all. So how many routes have been done back there total now? I think the total is about 23 or 24 right now. So um, there are two lines on the peak. Um, and uh and then down on the thunderdome there are 
four climbs in the uh, like thousand foot plus range. Um, and they range from WI four to WI five plus and, and they go, there's, you know, the mixed stuff goes from, I think right now, like M four to M six plus. Oh, uh, yeah, right about that. And, uh, and then there are some, there are a few climbs in like the three to four pitch range. And then I think there are about a dozen climbs that are a single pitch climbs and that that's, what's been done in there so far. Yeah. It seems like that's kind of one of the things that makes this area so special, huh? Is like, it's got the full spectrum of winter climbing. It's got short single pitch cragging routes. It's got long mixed climbs and then it's got these big Alpine lines kind of towering above everything. Yeah. I mean, it really is an incredible mix. I don't know of another place that has that variety and, and that quality that close together. So, I mean, it definitely makes the, uh, the ski in worthwhile. Um, right now we're working on, you know, kind of the harder mixed projects and stuff. So there's a lot of, you know, pretty, pretty, uh, crazy uh curtains and steep roofs and uh we have some cool mixed projects going on now and there are still some some really good climbs to be done up on the big peak as well but and and pretty much nothing is seen as second descent so um a lot of great stuff to do in there yeah have all the plums been picked i mean what's the potential like for new routes after all that you guys have done back there <laughs> all i'll say not all the plums have been picked and go in and find out and try and get there before me. <laughs> but we, we have done a lot of the uh, obvious uh, bigger lines, but, but there are still a couple special things in there that, that uh, I hope to get a crack at. Um, tell me about this latest big Alpine route on a peak that you and Jess Ross Kelly did most recently in the spring. Or in the fall, rather. Oh yeah, um, it's it's kind of the the king line of the entire area, I guess. You notice it immediately um, when you see a peak. It's uh, just this massive couloir that splits the northeast face, and it's it's immediately noticeable that it's just a um, a really tight couloir with with huge walls on either side and so we had been eyeing that couloir for quite a few years in fact the very first year we went up and took a look at it but it's pretty hard to even access um so we had uh finally after matt and i did those big lines we we decided it was time to try the the big couloir. I don't know if I can say it on the podcast, but we uh, called it the devil's ass crack couloir. <laughs> and uh, um, because of its, uh, I don't know, deep, dark qualities. And uh, we, so early in, in uh, early this season, I think it was around November 26th, Matt Cornell and I went back in and, uh, and made an attempt on that line and we went really light alpine style um it's a pretty rough approach to even from the lake um you gain 
Oh, you gain 1500 feet of elevation and a lot of scrambling around to, to get to it. And, uh, we, we found a chimney that we hadn't spotted previously that, that accesses the couloir. You have to get up about four or 500 feet before you get into the couloir. And we were able to, to find an entry, got into the couloir, spent all day climbing and just really on, uh, great climbing a lot of steep mixed steps at like a pretty moderate you know m3 m4 grade but very uh technical and intriguing climbing and then uh we kept pushing it and uh found ourselves at nightfall maybe 500 feet below the top and we ran into a really big crux roof and um i guess that was a bit after nightfall but it ended up shutting us down um my partner my partner matt cornell made a hell of an effort to get through it um you know it's by then i think i think we gave up at two o'clock in the morning but it's you know well after midnight and he's up there in the pitch black with spindrift just pounding down and we're you know, over 20 hours into our day and he's climbing this huge roof and he, he, uh, he kept trying. He, the lead was two hours before, um, I actually called it and just said, Hey, I, I think we need to get off of this mountain. And, uh, we had a storm coming in the next morning and we were, frankly, I was pretty afraid about our ability to get off of the mountain, um, in time. So we, uh, we had to make the choice to retreat and we it was a pretty crazy retreat too we trashed one of our ropes and ended up having to do a pretty intense shiver bivy under a huge chalk stone then spent six and a half hours the next day rappelling out and just on as we were pulling the ropes on the last wrap the avalanches started coming down from the the storm which arrived on schedule so uh we had a really good effort, just barely got out of there in time. And Matt and I, during that night of shivering, had sworn to each other multiple times that we never wanted to come back to that climb, that it was, that it was, you know, needlessly dangerous because of the huge exposure and, and probably would have that spin drift every time we attempted it because we had gotten beaten up by spin drift pretty bad or down was all wetted through and we were pretty cold yeah so i we went back to town we made it off of there went back to town and i had to i had to show up to work for a for a 48 hour shift at the fire department and uh while i was on duty my buddy jess ross Kelly called me he had just gotten back from a trip and heard about what we had done and he was really stoked to get back in there and so you know two days off and I was right back up in there after promising to never return. <laughs> yeah. That's even shorter <laughs> that's, than usual. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it is. That's <laughs> probably like a, one of the best. Usually it takes a couple uh, days. Alpinists. Yeah. Yeah. It often does, but man, it was such a good line. I mean, I, I knew it was an incredible line and we had come so close and, you know, I had a, you know, another super strong partner showed up who was stoked and, oh, and the weather got way better. Like, there was a beautiful forecast so i knew it was time to give it another try and and then jess and i went up and and 
and we nailed it. You know, it was like beautiful weather, no spin drift. Um, this time we, we went just a little bit heavier, bought, brought some bivy gear and we were able to bivy in the, in that same spot, but this time not shivering our asses off. And, uh, we, we had the advantage of knowing that we had, you know, over 2000 feet of wrap stations already prepped if things went bad. And, and, uh, so I got to that same crux roof that Matt had, had, you know, just beat himself up on, but this time it's like, you know, it's about noon and the sun's shining and, um, you know, I can see everything I'm doing and at all these super scary sections where Matt was pulling on loose blocks, I was able to, you know, carefully pick my way through and, and even was able to clip the anchor he had lowered off of at the crux roof. So I really felt like, you know, it was, uh, almost getting away with something, you know, and it definitely owed a huge debt of gratitude to Matt for doing all that work in the middle of the night. And I was able to pull it on a perfectly beautiful day. And I think that roof went at about M7 and was some pretty, pretty overhung, pretty intense climbing, but it just went down beautifully. And then we had, uh, I think just three more pitches to the top. Awesome. Um, so you're not done in there, I take it. You're going to be heading back in this winter. Yeah, I've been back in a couple of times and have a pretty fun project, a steep line that I'm, or, you know, just a really fun ice line that I'm working on now with a, another partner, Craig Pope. And we're, uh, we're pretty stoked. We found some good steep ice and uh, we're, we're having a pretty good time in there. We'll see how it goes. You mentioned that there's a long history in Montana, and I'm sure a lot of people have experienced that of just kind of reporting climbs or not non-reporting of climbs and kind of under the radar since going down. Um, what's the, what's changed here with that? What prompted you to kind of like let the cat out of the bag, so to speak? Well, I mean, frankly, it was, I couldn't find partners and not, you know, I mean, I love my climbing partners. It's my favorite thing about climbing the connections we create, but for some reason, everybody everybody that I usually climb with was busy elsewhere or had other projects going on. And I, I just couldn't find anybody to climb with. And, uh, I started posting pictures that I knew would get some attention on social media and, and, uh, talking to as many people as I could. And I mean, frankly, it was, it was time for that to happen. I think that it's, I'm everybody that I've climbed with up there has, I mean, people have said, oh, my God, this is the best climbing in the lower 48. And I've said the same thing. And I don't think we're exaggerating. I mean, you could there are a lot of places that you could argue is the best climbing in the lower 48. But it is a really special place. I mean, where else? Where are the other, you know, 1200 or 1300 foot ice lines that also have like hard mix climbing? And I don't know. That's uh, that's pretty special climbing. and I, it didn't seem right to to hide it from everybody much longer but also i i had a, a another um i just needed some partners so i started getting the word out well cool it sounds like a pretty pretty special place and uh excited to see what comes out of there in the future for sure thanks a lot for taking the time to chat with us and uh take care all right well thanks a lot andy i really appreciate the opportunity 
Scott Coldiron will have a feature article in the 2019 AAJ, giving lots more information and showing plenty of photos of these new climbs in the Cabinet Mountains. The 2019 AAJ will be available in August. Hilleberg the Tent Maker is the presenting sponsor of The Cutting Edge. You can learn about their bomb-proof winter tents at hilleberg.com. Until next time, this is Dougal McDonald wishing you happy climbs.